Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello. And producer Annabelle Lee is here as always. Hello, hello. Mixing it up. Every time we do this intro, we do something a little bit different and I always get thrown off. Hello. Welcome to 2022, guys. Welcome Woo-hoo. to 2022. We have technically been in people's ears for 2022 with some other sneaky scandal schedules. Ooh. How's that for some alliteration to Love start it. the show? Love that. But we haven't properly been back in real time. Yeah. Thank you for everyone who's been listening to Taylor Swift. It's already one of our most downloaded scandal series ever and I'm stoked about that. I am too. Coming up on today's show, boy, do we have a bumper one for you. We are chatting about everything we missed over the summer holidays. Everything from Brooke and David's breakup, Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly's engagement, the many January headlines of Kim and Kanye and yes, of course, Molly May's now infamous quote about everyone having the same 24 hours in the day. But before we get there, we have about a million (laughs) recommendations to give you. And of course, I want to know, Michelle, how was your break? I had the best break. We had three weeks off, which I feel like I've got to say, it's a luxury and a privilege to have three weeks off at a time. But I truly feel like that is what is required when you're feeling a little burnt out and extremely exhausted at the end of a year. You need one week to kind of like, you know what, does this happen to anyone else? When I'm like run off my feet and super, super busy and then I stop, I get sick the first week of break every year. Then you need a week of like enjoying yourself and having fun and going out. And then you need a week of just rest and relaxation. That's kind of what they say. I say they say say. on on Twitter sometimes about needing three days in the weekend, like one day Mm. to go out and party, one day to rest and recover and one day to do admin, which is actually not exactly what you just said. (laughs) But alas, I appreciate the sentiment. Yeah. So I had the best break ever and I've got lots of recommendations for the listeners. The first one. I have seen everywhere. I'm hoping you've both jumped on the bandwagon. Love Me on Binge. 
Yes. Annabelle. So I've good. I've never even heard of it. What? Oh yeah. my, okay. This is something where all of my friends were recommending it to each other. I'm my like, sister was calling me being like, please watch Love Me. Have you watched it yet? I had people breathing down my neck telling me to watch this. Listeners were sending it to me. Everything. So I'm Googling it now. It's Australian. It's an Australian drama actually set in our home of Melbourne. I love when shows are set in Melbourne. So do I. Because I see things. I'm like, hello, North Melbourne. Know you well. Like, it's so exciting for me. You don't know North Melbourne well at all. I know it better than the average person watching from another state. So Love Me is essentially the love stories within one family. And, oh, Annabelle, I don't know about you, but I sobbed after the first episode. Like, I actually soaked through Mitch's shirt with tears. I was so upset, but it was so powerful and so well acted. I feel like sometimes Australian things get accused of not having the best acting or dialogue or storytelling. This is epic. I've only watched two episodes so far, so I don't want to oversell it in case it goes shit. But I would give it 10 out of 10 so far. I've watched the whole thing 10 out of 10. Guys, I can't believe I've never heard of this. I'm looking at it now. I'm like, it looks amazing. You would love. I would love this. Zara McDonald. How it have I missed this? So I was itching when I watched this. I've only started it this week itching to get on this podcast to talk about it because I think everyone who has watched it, we're like a little cult of just love me fans. I'm literally going to smash it. I'm <laughs> so excited. What else have you got? Okay. I also want to recommend the book Before You Knew My Name by Jacqueline Bublitz. It is also an Australian book written by a Melbourne author. I kept it local this break, guys. Didn't you ever? <laughs> this is a great book. It is about a murder story. We often hear like the true crime obsession that has really swept the world over the last five or so years. We know that there are continual retellings of dead girls' stories, particularly the way they die. And I think this book is trying to correct the record and actually discuss the way a murdered girl lived. I find that to be a very interesting premise. I will say it does have a slight sci-fi-ish element weaved throughout the story but you guys know me I'm not one for sci-fi I really reject all kinds of fantasy and that kind of realm I still loved this book yeah you did throw me off a little bit when you said (laughs) sci-fi but I appreciate the premise of this book especially considering you're not one who usually goes for the murdery kinds of things so this does sound wonderful do you have much else yes I do Um, (laughs) it's like like settle in for the day I think yeah one other main recommendation will you allow me one other main one? Oh no I've got heaps so okay. I would rather you kind of throw them out so <laughs> I can get mine out okay great Cruella with Emma Stone oh, have you seen it yes Annabelle what is going on with I've us? watched everything else. <laughs> it's sad really I, I haven't watched it epic I don't know why this was not hyped up more I feel like when Emma Stone as Cruella came out I think it was one of those classic COVID-19 problems where it couldn't have a big theatrical release in cinemas. Therefore, it had to go to streaming services. I think they kind of split it. It was one of the first movies to go that way. Unfortunately, probably ruined the momentum of this movie. If you watch it, Mitch and I were obsessed. Like we watched this film early in the break. And when we finished, we were like, why are people not talking about Cruella? Emma Stone is a revelation, which she is in every movie. Hello. But absolutely amazing movie. Can I ask something really dumb? What is it about? It's about the origin story of Cruella de Vil. It's not like a cartoon. It's a live. Is it kind of like <laughs> horror? It's real humans. <laughs> is on it a horror? 
No, it's not horror. It is sassy. It's set in the 70s from memory. It's quite grungy and sassy and clever and funny. Okay, this is not at all what I thought it was. I thought it was some like cartoony kind of thing. No, no. I would love to know if I'm the only (laughs) one who thought that or if other people listening think that too. I would say this is for adults, right? Like Cruella was made for, this movie was made for adults, I would think. Otherwise, I have very immature taste. But kids could watch it. Yeah. It's oh, epic. Love amazing. it. Amazing. Yep. Go you. Those are my main ones. What about you? How was your break? What are your recommendations? I had a good break. I mean, I think like a lot of people, the break, I reckon a lot of people had a lot of false starts over the break with everything that was going on in the world, which we won't spend a lot of time on because this is a podcast of joy. Keep it light. <laughs> and Keep it we, funny. But I think we do appreciate that a lot of people had weird summers and I think mine started pretty weird over the Christmas break, but settled into it and it was lovely. As you said, Mish, it is a real privilege to get as long off as we had And I said to someone the other day, I think the mark of a good rest is how motivated you feel in the last few days of that rest to get Mm. your life in order, be it like cleaning out your wardrobe or taking your car to the car wash, any of those kinds of things. And I felt so motivated in that sense towards the end of the break that I was like, I'm relaxed enough. I love that feeling. It hit me as well the day when I woke up and I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready (laughs) to get my shit in order. I was like, (gasps) clearly my break work because I am refreshed. I think honestly it's the biggest marker. I spent my summer in South Australia and I have to say I've never met a group of people like South Australians who appreciate you visiting so much. I am obsessed with it. The amount of messages I got from people thanking me for visiting their beautiful state. I'm like guys you don't need to thank me. You've got a wonderful (laughs) stage here. Like I'm just turning (laughs) up. You're okay. But people they are so appreciative. Yeah I feel sorry for South Australians because we went to South South Australia on like a work trip a couple of years ago and I remember that was the first time I'd been in SA and we got on this podcast and we're like why is no one talking about SA? SA is like the unsung hero of Australia. I feel like they still struggle with that. I would be like thrilled to go on a trip to SA. I feel like it's so not spoken about enough. I couldn't recommend it more between like the beaches and the food and everything that's going on there. Like there is a lot, a lot going on, particularly for people that live in Victoria where you can just kind of like take your car across. It's not particularly far. But yeah, I was inundated with messages from South Australians thanking me for going there. So may I put it back on the record and put the thanks back to you to South Australians. You're hot, South Australia. (laughs) Everyone thinks you're hot. You're okay now. You're absolutely thriving and we love it. What are your recommendations? Let me roll through them as relatively quickly as I can. I read a couple of good books that I want to recommend. The first one is If I Had Your Face by Frances Cha. Never now, heard of that. Have you guys heard of this one? I've seen the cover. Yeah, the cover's really beautiful. So if you are to judge a book by its cover, you would love this book, Michelle. It is actually set in South Korea. And so it follows the lives of four 20-something women as they navigate like class, money, but a lot of it is around the plastic surgery culture in South Korea. I think South Korea is widely regarded or is believed to have the highest plastic surgery rate in the world. Really? Particularly amongst women under 30. So it's like this really interesting sort of novel about how these women navigate not just money and class, but also this like really intense plastic surgery culture. So it's fascinating. It's really well written. I want to do this for the book club. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It actually would be pretty good for book club if you guys want to do it. I would love I mean, Are we it's making pretty, a decision right on my Pretty ad hoc for us to just decide this right <laughs> well, now, but got, I would love to read that. Well, we've got a few months of the year ahead, so let's see how we go. So that is a really, really good book. And it's not huge. Like if you're not one who who wants a huge novel, it's it's pretty um, small in the context of books. <laughs> I love that you 
was searching for a word. Yeah. <laughs> it was the opposite of huge, like small. Yeah. No one could see my searching eyes then. Uh, the other book that I loved this summer or one of the other books that I loved this summer is Detransition Baby by Tori Peters. This has been on my list for ages. This is one of the first novels written by a trans author that has been commissioned by a big five US publishing house and it is telling a trans story. It basically follows like three New Yorkers as they are trying to navigate whether they can raise a baby together. And it is also really, really well written. It's fascinating and it's just, it's a strong book. So I would recommend that too. Wow. Very quickly, I know this feels a bit like a cheater's recommendation, but I would love to recommend our book club book this month because it is one of the most remarkable books I've read in ages. It is Love Stories by Trent Dalton. It's a hot cover as well. So if we're going to talk about hot book covers, this will look good on your book. Actually, Detransition Baby has a sick cover as well, like (laughs) all of these books do. Love Stories by Trent Dalton, I think... If you are feeling a bit anxious about the world or a bit funny about the world, overwhelmed about what's going on right now, and I know a lot of people do because perhaps they didn't get the break that they wanted, they didn't feel like they got the holiday that they wanted, I would put your phone to the side and pick up this book and just sort of like fall into this book because that's what I did when I was feeling particularly anxious one day over summer. I had no phone reception and I just read this book and I was just bawling my eyes out. It was beautiful. Annabelle, I know you've already read it. Yeah, I have not cried so much happy tears while reading a book in a very long time. And so over earnestly, it made me think a lot about like how often do I really focus in on the love in my life and making sure I like, I think I'm pretty good at it, but I think this book just really importantly makes you notice how it should be the center of everything. Yeah. Like how you can always be better. Yes. A hundred percent. So that book couldn't recommend more. And then just a quick podcast recommendation as quick as I possibly can. (laughs) Brene Brown was on how to fail with Elizabeth Day. Great podcast. Great guest. The marriage was amazing between the two. And I just had it on while I was making something. Oh, I was making some tiramisu that totally fell apart the other day because I cannot bake for shit. Didn't you curdle something? I curdled it and I still <laughs> served it and everyone was like, um. Does tiramisu require baking? Well, I would say it's the art of baking, but it's not physically getting baked. Okay. Aren't there little bits of... It's, of... it's layers. Like, it, like yeah. it's a, it, a baking refers to the <laughs> Shut dessert. Shut up, Annabelle. It's like the making of a dessert, right? <laughs> oh, I've got your back. Don't worry. It's some form of baking somehow. <laughs> but I had this in my ears as I was doing that and I, I loved it. I don't think there's too much Brene Brown content in the world, to be honest. I can always <laughs> listen to something that she's doing and learn something from it. And what I found really interesting, if I may, really quickly, I'm so sorry. But what she said was, Through a lot of Brene Brown's research, she made this really interesting point where she said she has found that the most compassionate people that she knows that she's met through her research are the people that have boundaries. She's Mm. like, the people that are the kindest and most compassionate and have the most empathy for people have the most personal boundaries. And I was like trying to make sense of that. And she basically said, I feel like you're able to have more empathy and more compassion for people if you don't let people walk all over you because you therefore see the better in people. Right. And I was like, it's probably a good way to start our year a yes. good way to start with boundaries I think we need them Michelle we always need them and so that's all my recommendations <laughs> I love that she's like coaching me on that because out of the two of us I am definitely the one who is worse with maintaining my personal boundaries so guys let's kick off this episode with our first segment we are talking about the bachelorette's winners from 2021 Brooke and David and how they had one of the most abrupt blindsidey splits 
I can remember. Yeah, I was really, really sad about this. It came out of nowhere. So in case you missed it, over the break, the 2021 Bachelorette Brooke Blurton and her winner, David Garielli, very abruptly split. So Mish, their finale aired on November 25. And a little over a month later, David was announcing on Instagram that they had split up. Yeah. So on the morning of the 2nd of January, he posted this to his Instagram stories. Starting the new year off with an end to a chapter and hopefully the beginning of another. Unfortunately, Brooke and I have parted ways. Whilst we both genuinely thought we were each other's person, things change and that's okay. He finished his post by adding, there were a lot of lessons learned. Where were we when we saw this? Because I was on a train in Sydney. I opened my phone and I gasped. And Mitch literally thought someone had died. Like (laughs) I was stunned. I couldn't get over it. I was frantically messaging you guys being like, what the hell is going on? I just, I did not see this coming. No, well, I didn't see it coming so much so that when I woke up in the morning and my boyfriend turned to me and said, oh, Brooke and David broke up. I turned and said, yeah, no, they didn't. And then just like kept on with my day for like two hours and we just like never brought it up again. And then Michelle texted me being like, oh my God, they broke up. And I was like, oh God, I look like an idiot. (laughs) And I turned back to him and I said, oh, they did break up. And he was like, yeah, I told you. <laughs> I just really didn't see it coming in any way, shape or form. I think because David announced it and it took a couple of hours for Brooke to kind of confirm that, yes, it had happened as well. Yeah, and they had been posting with each other just a few days before. Like there were like very loved up shots going up on social media. I think it was only a few days before there was a shot of wedding dresses with kind of like a tag between themselves joking about getting married. So to then have this very public announcement of a split two days later was completely discombobulating. Brooke did respond via her own Instagram stories later in the day. She wrote, hey, beautiful people, before my phone blows up, I just want to say right now I'm finding this really quite overwhelming and just as surprising to me as you guys. I just woke up to the news. It was definitely agreed to part ways. I just wanted to do it privately, amicably and respectfully. She continued, this is not how and what I expected to be doing right now. So as you can imagine, this is all a lot. It was January 2 as well. And I feel like Brooke had had like her birthday and New Year's Mm. Day parties and those kinds of things. So there was just like a lot going on. I think the surprise element here was intense for a lot of people because I think it was such a feature of the show that David was moving, you know, his whole life down to Melbourne to make this relationship a real cornerstone of his life. He was selling his business. He was selling his house. And I feel like they had just kind of settled into their home in Melbourne. And then suddenly the announcement that it was over kind of made people think, okay, fuck, what does he do? Like, is he going back to Brisbane? Like, how does this all work? How yeah. do the mechanics of it work? Yeah, I think there are also naturally so many question marks when you have two public figures with, I don't know, Brooke has like 300,000 followers, right? So you have two public figures in this extremely high-profile relationship breaking up very, very quickly but also not being on the same page at all or not wanting to communicate about trying to get on the same page. About like, how it's announced, do you mean? Exactly. Yeah. Like for him to go and then for her to be like, oh, I thought we were going to do this completely differently. It just like everyone's kind of watching on and it feels like a bit, unfortunately for them both, a bit like a car crash of a breakup because it's being handled in totally different ways. Yeah, which it actually sounds all the more remarkable when you think about it when couples go through a breakup and are able to get on the same page with the PR and things like that because how many breakups end particularly well where people are happy to put their anger or resentment to the side for the purpose of 
PR. Like I, yeah. I can't guarantee that I would want to do that. So you can totally understand. Straight away, David wants to tell the truth. If he's moving his life back to Brisbane, he wants to be very transparent straight away. But just as equally, you can understand that Brooke wanted some time. It's really interesting because I think Brooke took some time off Instagram and then last week posted again to say, I will be the first to say that it was my choice to end the relationship and I had been thinking about it a bit towards the end. My reasons for that are completely valid to me. I had been unhappy for a bit and it wasn't solely because of the relationship. I have a lot of respect for Dub and what he gave up for me in the relationship, but it seems we've both lost ourselves along the way. I love David and he has a good heart, but unfortunately we ended up being two different people who wanted different things and that's just that. No infidelity, no hate, just a pressure cooker. Yeah, this is one of the many failed relationships out of The Bachelorette now. So Brooke and David make up six out of the seven Bachelorette couples who split very shortly after the show. It's not like we've had a whole bunch of couples who have lasted years and then broken up quietly after that. A lot of these couples are not making it to the three or six month mark after they leave. And Brooke acknowledges that. Like there was a post I saw on Instagram talking about how the Bachelorette franchise is kind of cursed and they're set up for failure and the right contestants aren't put on the show. And Brooke had liked that post, which I found really interesting as well. The only couple to have made things work so far out of the Bachelorette Australia is Georgia Love and Lee Elliott. Yeah, and and I guess it really begs the question of is this the perfect recipe for any kind of relationship? Truthfully, it looks like a really hard recipe to create a really good relationship. Yeah, totally. But credit to them, if they called it when they needed to call it and it wasn't working, it was a hard decision, but almost definitely the right one. Coming up after the break, Machine Gun Kelly and Megan Fox are engaged. There is a lot happening in the world of Kim and Kanye and Buckingham Palace. And then we chat about those Molly May comments. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. Every week we bring you the top five stories from the rough and the tumble from the rough and tumble of the celebrity. <laughs> Can you leave it? So people no! know that she doesn't after nearly four years know how to do that line off it's by heart. It's been so long. Oh my god. <laughs> well, and sometimes before it, you're like, what, what's the line again? <laughs> I'm a human, guys. I'm fallible. I get it. From the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Zara, refreshed and replenished. McDonald, what do you have for us? Very wholesome, Michelle. My first story, of course. Machine Gun Kelly and Megan Fox are engaged. We drank each other's blood. (laughs) That is from Rolling Stone. When we decided, obviously, we didn't like decide to cover this story. We had to cover this story because it was everywhere over summer. Michelle's like, I'll prep this one. I know you hate these two. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I, don't, I don't hate them. I'm just like, oh, I just don't really get it. I think we're coming to these two from like different perspectives. I know that they're the quirky, bizarre celebrity couple that nobody knows kind of what to think of. I love that though. Like these two are weird, yes, but It would be fucking boring if we didn't have Machine Gun Kelly and Megan Fox in the news cycle right now. No, I I kind of agree with that. The more reading I did about this engagement, which we will obviously get to now, (laughs) the more I was like, oh, 
they're really pushing this narrative, huh, of like yeah. we are, we're different. Well, they've committed to it. I think they truly are different at this stage. They, if you are not aware, have been dating for 18 months. They met on the set of a project and now they are going to get married. This was announced to us in an Instagram post on Megan's account. She wrote, in July of 2020, we sat under this banyan tree. We asked for magic. We were oblivious to the pain we would face together in such a short, frenetic period of time. Unaware of the work and sacrifices the relationship would require from us, but intoxicated off of the love and the karma. Somehow, a year and a half later, having walked through hell together and having laughed more than I ever imagined possible, he asked me to marry him. And just as in every lifetime before this one, and as in every lifetime that will follow it, I said yes, and then we drank each other's blood. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> just, do you think that Megan Fox is trolling when she says we drank each other's blood? I think she is. I think she's like she trying to... she knows what she's doing, right? She's kind of like... It's like tongue-in-cheek. I think like 10% of these are tongue-in-cheek. I think they are incredibly intense about their relationship together. If you watch any videos with them, they truly do believe that they are soulmates in this lifetime, every lifetime before it, every lifetime after it. They believe that they've connected on a level that the average human doesn't. They speak a lot about astrology. They know everything. Like, you know how people do birth charts? They know every little detail about each other's birth chart. Like, It's almost like a profession how much they love each other. They take it that seriously. Do I think they're genuinely drinking each other's blood similar to like Angelina Jolie and Billy Bob Thornton? No, I think she's taking the piss when it comes to that. I think she is. The comments on her photo are very funny. Like the top comment has like 76,000 likes and it's just from Big Brown Eyes 457 who said, (laughs) you did what now? (laughs) Not bad. Yeah, I think there's a bit of sense of humour here and I think that's actually what made me like them a bit more Mm. reading this story because I was like 100% I reckon she's winking at us to be like, yes, we're quirky here. Have some bait, 100%. So, I mean, it, it will be really interesting because this wedding then will have to be like performance art, won't yeah. it? Absolutely. The ring I actually really love. Too. The ring it's is beautiful. gorgeous. It has two gems. So the first is a diamond, which is Machine Gun Kelly's birthstone. The other is an emerald, which is Megan's birthstone. And in Machine Gun Kelly's post, he explained, set on two magnetic bands of thorns that draw together as two halves of the same soul, forming the obscure heart that is our love. I couldn't tell you what that means. <laughs> yeah, that's the weird thing is like this is set on thorns and it's like, no, it's just a normal it's ring like, with two like, bands, but sure. It's just a very expensive band. You know what, guys? They've committed. They've jumped wholeheartedly into this and I applaud them. There's a thorn on her finger. It's like a bit of leaf. <laughs> My second story. Prince Andrew loses military roles and the use of his Royal Highness title. That is from The Guardian My goodness, there is a lot going on in this story over the last sort of month or so. Mm. So in case you missed it, Prince Andrew is back in the news because in the middle of this month, a judge ruled that a civil suit involving Virginia Dufresne, who was a woman who accused him of sexually abusing her when she was a teenager, will actually go to trial this year. So there was a bit of conjecture before this point, like, will it go to trial? Will it not? The judge was like, yep, it's going to trial. Now, As I said, in that suit, Virginia Dufresne claims that she was pimped to Prince Andrew by Jeffrey Epstein and the now convicted sex trafficker Ghislaine Maxwell, a longtime friend of the prince. 
Now, it should be noted that Prince Andrew does insist that he is innocent of all charges, but it has finally, Mish, prompted the palace to acknowledge what's been going on. Yeah, absolutely. And in the wake of this news, the Queen stripped Andrew of his military roles and royal patronages, which were like the last kind of signs of his royal privilege. In a two-sentence statement, Buckingham Palace announced that, with the Queen's approval and agreement, the Duke of York's military affiliations and royal patronages have been returned to the Queen. Now, he hasn't been a kind of publicly serving royal for some time. He already stepped back from public duties after that car crash horrific (laughs) BBC interview that he gave in 2019. Remember how he said that he medically couldn't sweat or something? So it mustn't have been him. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he's already been a bit of a walking disaster zone for the royal family for the last few years. This year is going to be like no other for Prince Andrew and the royal family. They can't brush this under the carpet anymore. This will expose some very ugly sides to the way that family functions, I think. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I think particularly since Ghislaine Maxwell was convicted over the summer, they can't hide behind innocence in any way, shape or form. There are also headlines coming out this week, speculation that Ghislaine Maxwell and Prince Andrew used to date as Mm. well. A new documentary is coming out about that. I think it'll be a really telling year for this entire story because many experts do believe that he's probably going to have to settle this outside of court so that it doesn't go to trial. It's a big year for the royal family. It is the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, which marks 70 years as Queen. And there's already a lot of conversations about the Platinum Jubilee. It's a huge year. And so I think that the royal family will probably demand that this doesn't distract. And as we know, going to trial means every tiny piece of dirty laundry is out there. But that said, settling is almost like an admission of guilt, isn't it? I mean, I am really interested in where this goes because it really feels like it's only downhill from here. Like, Yeah. yeah. And the palace did not have the best summer. I mean... Does the palace ever have a good summer? (laughs) Australian summer. Australian (laughs) summer. I feel like every time we go on break, we get back and the palace has had a real shit one while we've been gone. Yeah, because Prince William was trending over Twitter as well. He was the top Twitter trend for a couple of days. Annabelle, did you notice this? (laughs) No, (laughs) I won't lie to you. I logged onto Twitter one day and the top trend was hashtag Prince William's Affair. Zara, you saw this because we chatted a lot about it. I think this is actually one of my favourite royal (laughs) stories ever because I should say because it's one of these royal stories that just exists in rumour. So if people do need a recap, Mish. (laughs) Please, this is one of my favourite celebrity stories. We spoke about this at the time but it was years ago. In March 2019, The tabloid The Sun reported that the Duchess of Cambridge had fallen out with a longtime friend of hers called Rose Hanbury. That article was later taken down. Now, it seemed like a pretty inoffensive article, Michelle. Yeah, quite an odd one to have scrapped from the internet, just about a a little friendship fallout. Yes, exactly. But a few months later, it was then speculated on social media that they had fallen out because of an affair between Rose and Prince William while Kate was pregnant with Prince Louis. Now, around this time, The Sun wrote another article about how Rose had been struggling after the friendship breakup and did mention some private meetings between Prince William and Rose as a catalyst for the relationship breakdown. Now, that article was taken down again. With no British tabloid reporting on it, it was really bizarre at the time ish. It was kind of like this big whisper network where The Sun tried to get some few things online, like kind of 
you know, like an SOS flare or something. Yeah. Like guys were trying to tell you something, but they kept getting pulling down. So the story kind of died. Yeah. It's been an odd one to say the least. And I am surprised sitting here in January 2022 with the story kind of not going anywhere, but we do still have these kind of like Twitter flare ups. And we had a big Twitter flare up about this story on December 28th. That was when journalist Alex Tiffin resurfaced this issue. Now, he wrote, Injunctions from the High Court in London are worthless in Scotland, my residence, and no amount of legal pressure is going to erase the fact that Prince William had an affair with Rose Hanbury. Enjoy your <laughs> evening. I love just like throwing an absolute bomb and be like, I'm going to bed. Bye. It's such like a Twitter tone, isn't it? Being like, here's my bomb, by the way, enjoy your evening. I'm <laughs> oh my God. So we need to say as well, we have no proof that this affair no. happened. We are not saying that it definitely happened. We're just saying we're observing some interesting things in the media space. It's just a, a weird kind of thing to look at and to analyse where people are so desperately trying to tell one story in the palace, is so desperately trying to tell another, and the British tabloid media refuses to touch it at all. I mean, Alex Tiffin went on and said multiple UK news outlets have had evidence of the affair and his other comments. Some even spoke of them on this site before legal threats saw them delete. A royal shouldn't be afforded extra protection from scrutiny than any other public figure journalists report not handle. Yeah. Then no tableau picked up on these comments either. Nothing happened. Which, given some of the stories that we see the tabloids run with, the risks that we see them take in other spheres, it is super interesting to me that they will not touch this story with a 10-foot pole. Yeah, exactly. I think it's incredibly telling that they won't. But it doesn't stop again. You can't stop the beast that is Twitter wanting something to trend. Interesting to hear your thoughts on this one, guys, on Your Say Friday. My third story, Kim Kardashian is trying her best to ignore drama with ex Kanye West. That is from People Magazine. Yeah, in case you missed it, not all has been well in Camp Kardashian West over the summer either. So to recap, things really kicked off about a week ago when Kanye West, who is now renamed to Ye, sat down for an interview with the tabloid Hollywood Unlocked. If that name, that tabloid, Hollywood Unlocked, is ringing any bells, they were the publication that actually broke the Jordan Woods, Tristan Thompson cheating scandal. So there's some connection between members of the Kardashian family or people on the periphery of the Kardashians and news breaking in Hollywood Unlocked. Anyway, in that interview, Ye levelled a number of accusations at Kim Kardashian's team, mostly pertaining to keeping him away from his children. He said, earlier this week on Monday, when I went to go pick my kids up from school, the security stopped me at the gate. So at that point, security was in between me and my children and that's not what's going to happen. He went on, and I'm hearing that the new boyfriend is actually in the house that I can't even go into. Now, ostensibly, he was referring to Pete Davidson. Yeah, he continued. They can go on SNL and make jokes. They can make jokes in the media. They can plant stories about whoever I am dating and whatever I want to do. They can block deals. They can do all that type of stuff. But I can tell you straight up, don't play with my kids. Now, as I'm sure so many of our listeners have heard shortly after this, Kanye's new song, Easy, was released with the lyric, God saved me from that crash just so I can beat Pete Davidson's ass. <laughs> Sorry. I was waiting for how you were going to rhyme crash, crash with us. supposed to rhyme. Okay. Crash and ass. <laughs> crash. 
And <laughs> you sound southern. <laughs> well, he needs it to be southern for it to rhyme. No, it's quite interesting to me. I mean, as an observer, that in the original Hollywood Unlocked interview, Kanye kind of took aim at Kim for playing a PR game with the family, but then Kanye did the exact same thing by doing this Hollywood Unlocked interview talking about Pete Davidson and then releasing music referencing Pete Davidson within the coming like 24 hours. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I guess for him it's probably how he brands and defines his own publicity, but it's Mm. like it's all in the same vein. Soon after that, Mish, Hollywood Unlocked again published a video to their Instagram account of Kanye speaking to the camera in his car. And essentially what he was saying in that video is that he was kept out of his four-year-old daughter Chicago's joint birthday party with her cousin Stormy until Travis Scott gave him the address and the time and told him to turn up. Yeah, here's a snippet from that video. Yo, I'm so happy right now. I just came from Shy's party and I just got a... Shout out to Travis Scott for sending me the address and the time and making sure that I was able to spend the spend that birthday memory with my daughter to be there with the rest of the family. And I just saw everybody. So, I mean, this is big now, right? Like not only do we have him saying she's keeping me away from my kids, we have him saying she's not letting me at my own daughter's birthday party, I'm being kept away from the family and other members of the family are kind of like secretly giving me the address and letting me in on the side. This is obviously messy at this point and prompted Kim's team to immediately respond in an exclusive with People magazine where they said he can no longer walk inside Kim's home without her permission. Kim has a right to privacy and is trying to set healthy boundaries. They went on to say that the need for boundaries had, and I quote, become necessary due to several incidents where West had upset Kardashian's family, friends and staff with his recent unannounced visits. It doesn't leave the best taste in the mouth, does it? When you've got a dad after a breakup turning up unannounced Mm. to kids' birthday parties or whatever it might be, like it just doesn't feel good, Mm. I think, and it's kind of a hard story to stomach. But i got to say, like this story, the Kanye and Kim story and the headlines just don't seem to end because it also appears that Kanye has a new girlfriend as well. Yeah, so as if this wasn't enough, this week has been a very weird one when it comes to Kanye West headlines. He does have a new girlfriend. Her name is Julia Fox. She's an actress. And now that she's dating Kanye, she's chatting to Interview Magazine every week about the dates that they go on. So there's even a name for this series. In Interview Magazine, it's called Fox News. (laughs) And I know the magazine quoted Julia as saying this, I think I'm going to call you about my date nights weekly, maybe biweekly. How does that sound? I'll send pictures. I'll tell you stories and you'll publish them. Now, the article that I read from Fox News detailing her date with Kanye last week included photographs of her and Ye writhing on tables, her straddling him on couches and included her giving quotes like this one. It's the most instant, natural, organic attraction and connection. I just feel really safe with him. It's a redemption story. I just can't quite fathom how many elements there are to this story. Like there's so much going on. Yeah, there's a lot going on with Kanye West right now. And I've got to say, I I think my take on this is I do feel a bit of sympathy for Kim Kardashian trying to manage four children 
a separation and an unruly ex, I think, who seems to want to air a lot of this stuff in the media. Yeah, my fourth story. John Mulaney's ex-wife, Anna-Marie Tendler, opened up about their surreal and shocking divorce. That is from BuzzFeed. A quick recap for those who might have forgotten. The artist Anna-Marie Tendler is the ex-wife of John Mulaney, the very famous stand-up comedian. In May last year, you might remember, it was announced they had split. She announced she was heartbroken. Days later, it was revealed that he had moved on with Olivia Munn. By September, John Mulaney and Olivia Munn had announced they were having a baby together. Mm. So we covered this on the show. He's not the best friend of the show, let's say it that no, way. No. When we say some people like, friend of the show, John Mulaney is not a friend of Shameless. Should we have a foe of the show? Oh. Well, let me say, Anna Marie Tendler is a friend of Shameless. She's never spoken to us or had anything <laughs> to do with us, but Anna, you're a friend. Yeah, no, I think we can say that. Anna Marie Tendler is a, a friend of the show because I have <laughs> such a deep soft spot for her. Now, in case you missed it, which is us, we actually missed it, <laughs> on Christmas Eve, the couple, Olivia Munn and John Mulaney, posted photos on Instagram of their first baby together, having been born a son named Malcolm. Now, on Instagram, John Mulaney wrote, he has his whole life ahead of him. He hasn't even tried seltzer yet. That's I'm, funny. No, it's not. Is that funny, Annabelle? Oh, my God, I was just reading the roadside joke. I'm like, what does this guy think he is, a comedian? I love you so much, but I think the listeners will be on our side when we quiz them on this he hasn't even tried tried seltzer seltzer yet yet. is not funny it's not it's so embarrassing it's like being a comedian feeling like you need to crack a joke in the caption of your baby being born and it not coming off anyway he did say (laughs) i'm not crying (laughs) (laughs) he did say i'm very in love with him and his whole deal happy holidays olivia posted too interestingly you both might want to know that both of them had comments off yeah, and interestingly, it was also reported that when they announced Malcolm's arrival, he wasn't exactly fresh out of the womb. He had been <laughs> alive for a month. Now, if reports are to be believed, Olivia actually gave birth in November. Perhaps they did not announce this in November because that would make people do month maths. And month maths <laughs> is a friend of the show. Month math. Well, it's actually a foe of the show, but... <laughs> In case you didn't know, there's a, a calculator online that is called, it's not called Month Maths, but I used it for this. Now, that would put the conceiving of this baby in February, which when I went back to look at reports around February 2021, that would have put this around the time, perhaps the week he got out of rehab. Yeah, the week he got out of rehab when publicly at least, as far as we know, he was very much still married to Anna-Marie Tendler. Well, yes, they didn't announce their split for another, uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-oh. Like three months. Yeah. So last week, Anna-Marie Tendler actually did an interview with Harper's Bazaar where naturally conversation veered into the John Mulaney territory. And I want to read you a section or two from that piece because I found it really interesting and telling. The journalist wrote... When I asked Tendler about her divorce, she demurs. Everything that has transpired has been totally shocking and I think surreal. In a way, I feel like, well, it can only go up from here because I reached the depth of where I could go. Now, one of the other really interesting bits about this piece, which I haven't seen widely reported, is this one. One of the most liberating aspects of her divorce has been that Tendler has been able to revisit some of the big life questions that had previously felt settled. When I ask her point blank about the no kids thing, she says that she always held partnership above having kids. 
but also, she says, she is certainly going to freeze her eggs. There were things I never even thought about before because that was just a closed door. So now that it feels like not as much of a closed door, it's something that I ruminate on a lot. I mean, reading between the lines or not even reading between the lines, just reading indicates that she is suggesting John Mulaney did not want kids and that was never an option for them in their marriage. Yes, and now that that door is no longer closed because he's left her and gone to have a baby with somebody else, she's decided to freeze her eggs because perhaps it is something she wants in the future. Yeah. Oh, it should be a crime. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it should be a crime. In happier news, in happier news in the world of Anna-Marie Tenler, If you remember when we first spoke about Anna-Marie on the show, she had this incredible photography series on her Instagram called Rooms in the House. It was a whole photography series of her in different rooms of a house that she had originally bought with John Mulaney. And that recently went to auction. Seven of those pieces recently went to auction with all of them selling out, some of them selling out for high six figures. Oh, wow. I am so happy for the good friend of the show, Anna-Marie Tenler, for like going to the bank with this because these photos are so powerful and moving. And I, I've got to say, anyone who's been through a breakup or anyone who has a heart and looks at these photos will feel something. I'm so happy for her that she has cashed in on this. 100% because one of those photos, very iconically, was called Dinner in March. Do you remember that photo where yeah. it's like a long table, she's sitting at one end with a plate, she's kind of not looking happy. The other end of the table is a plate but it's an empty chair. Now I mm. feel like that speaks to timeline a little bit. Dinner in March. Yeah. My fifth story. Good job, Zara. That was epic. (laughs) Kayla at Seniors' ex, Toby Pierce, finally goes Instagram official with new girlfriend, Rachel Dillon, and says he has finally found happiness. That is from the Daily Mail. Yeah, so after ending his engagement with Australia's biggest fitness personality and export, Kayla at Seniors, in August 2020, Toby Pierce has announced a new relationship with Rachel Dillon. Now, Rachel is a fellow fitness entrepreneur, and you could say industry competitor. She is behind the business Move With Us, which is a fitness subscription business. Toby and Kayla, for the eight years they were together, originally built the Bikini Body Guide Empire, which then rebranded and expanded into Sweat, which is also a fitness subscription business. Yeah, so I read this headline and I was like, are they competitors? But then it gets a bit messier because in 2021, Kayla and Toby, even though they weren't together anymore, they still work very closely together, sold Sweat for about $400 million. But Toby is still CEO there. Mm. So it's like it's a funny kind of dynamic, I think, when you've got just like these very big businesses worth heaps of money and two people working in different ones. Yeah, and a lot of followers and a lot of like public-facing stuff to go with it. I mean, he has a type. You've got to give it to him. He has a very niche type. (laughs) Fitness moguls. Exactly. (laughs) Guys, that is all I've got for you. Thank you so much. Thank you, next bitch. It's the pop culture story that was hard to miss this summer. Molly May, the name you probably know out of Love Island UK or her massive Instagram following, did a podcast interview where she was roundly slammed for pushing the narrative that everyone has the same 24 hours in a day and if you work hard enough, you can get the life you've always dreamed of. Curiously, it took a few weeks after the interview had gone live for Twitter to pick it up, but Eek! When they did, it just about blew up. So let's talk about it all. The comments, the reaction, the apology, and what it all says about privilege, hard work, and the podcasting space. Zara, let's start with the interview itself, because we actually mentioned this interview. We analysed 
a different part <laughs> of this interview in our final Thursday episode for the year. Yeah, exactly. If you listen to the final Thursday episode of 2021, you will know about this interview because we had some other things of that interview that really sort of sparked some thoughts amongst ourselves, particularly mm. pertaining to friendships and relationships. Now, what is really interesting about this is it took time for this interview to blow up. I kind of think if I was in Molly May's camp and you were nervous about this interview going live, you would have seen it go live and then just sort of like sat back and thought, okay, dust has settled, we're okay. Yeah. Except that wasn't the case at all. It took until January for someone on Twitter to grab a snippet of the interview from TikTok pull it onto Twitter and that's when it blew up, hey? Yeah, which is so interesting because it does show how different social media platforms and different audiences that use, for example, a user on TikTok might receive something one way that is completely the polar opposite of how a Twitter user interprets and analyzes something. Now, this probably went viral afterwards because Diary of a CEO, which is the podcast that Molly May went on, is notorious for doing those grabs, those video grabs, and putting them all across social media. So, when this particular grab ended up on Twitter, it was viewed more than 13 million times. Here is that snippet. You're given one life and it's down to you what you do with it. Like you can literally go in any direction. And when I've spoken about that before in the past, I have been slammed a little bit with people saying, you know, like it's easy for you to say that, you know, you've grown up and you've not grown up in poverty. You've not grown up, you know, with major money struggles. So for you to sit there and say that we will have the same 24 hours in a day is not correct. And I'm like, but technically what I'm saying is correct. We we do. So I understand that obviously we all have different backgrounds and we're all raised in different ways and we do have different financial situations. But I think if you want something enough, you can achieve it. And it just depends to what lengths you want to go to get where you want to be in the future. So Mish, the caption of this video that someone grabbed from TikTok, put on Twitter was, if you're homeless, just buy a house, <laughs> so which is like a fair <laughs> comment. It is, it, when you hear that snippet, it is kind of like, what you think about. Yeah. It's also hard because, I mean, when you pull out these snippets and put them on Twitter, you can't give full context. I mean, the maximum length of a video is often three minutes. This snippet was only 45 seconds. You're trying to chop down a conversation that goes for maybe 10 minutes and get it all into a neat little soundbite. For full context, if you haven't listened to the Diary of a CEO interview with Molly May, what she was referring to is that very ubiquitous, Instagram Tumblr quote that read, you have the same 24 hours in a day as Beyonce. Now, this went viral maybe a decade ago. Oh, yeah. I'm sure we are all familiar with it. We have all seen that quote. Molly May was regurgitating that and saying how she truly deeply believes that. Now, what's interesting is that with any quote that goes viral on Instagram or Tumblr, even with the lightest of pressure tests, a lot of them crumble or evaporate before your eyes. And I think this particular quote about Beyonce definitely fails any kind of pressure test. Yeah, well, it's the kind of quote that people said sort of, as you say, 10 years ago and in the years since people are like, ooh, let's not like be banding around these really reductive quotes now. Mm. I think what's also hard about the comment itself is how she said in the interview, I have copped some flack about this before, but I still kind of stand my ground because I think almost immediately it showed that, yes, people had tried to engage her to have a conversation about this quote and she had just like flatly refused to do any kind of deep excavation work about it and regurgitate it on a very public platform. Yeah, some of the most popular commentary on Twitter 
included this tweet. It's insane to think I just worked harder and therefore I'm rich. It's ignorance at its best, arrogance at its worst. There's millions of people in the UK who work harder than Molly and are struggling financially. And again, to say that during a pandemic with a lot of economic hits is mad. Another tweet included, imagine Molly May standing at the top of the stairs in one of her sweatshop pretty little thing factories saying this to workers that earn £3.50 an hour. Babe, if you just worked a bit harder working those 24-hour shifts, you'd get to where I am. Yeah, and there are so many elements to why people responded so viscerally to this quote and to this part of the conversation, but I think the PLT job, the fact that she works so closely with Pretty Little Thing as creative director, just leaves a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths because that business itself, Mish, does not have a good reputation for working conditions. Mm, Yeah, well, it's very hard to sell the narrative of hard work equals financial success when you actively promote and profit off a company that is built off unethical labour practices. Like, that is very difficult to swallow. And truthfully, as a Molly May fan... I do think embedding herself so deeply in the Pretty Little Thing brand, I don't care what that deal was worth to her financially, I don't care what is on that paycheck, is probably the worst decision she has made for her personal brand, the worst decision she has made for her career because it does not read the mood. The mood of the room, particularly with Gen Z and millennials, is that fast fashion is bad for the world. Of course, there are some positive elements. If you are plus size, they do cater to bigger bodies, which is great. And we need more of that across the board. But there are heaps of things about brands like Pretty Little Thing that do damage to the world. And for Molly May to embed herself in that company is a bit of a misstep for me. It's a massive misstep, in fact. It made me think a lot about this conversation around influencing and hard work, because I think influencers like Molly May are desperate to convince the world that this is a legitimate career path because for so long we've denigrated it as a career path. And I think what that's done is meant that a lot of influencers like Molly May feel the need to talk a lot about hard work to convince people, you know what, like this job is real and Mm. it's hard. And it's like this idea that it's not just a selfie and being done for the day, which is true. But surely the conversation demands like a little bit more nuance than that because in Molly May's case, it feels like now she's overcompensating when she speaks about her work ethic as something far bigger than anyone else's. And then on top of that, I think that there's a a comment or conversation to be had about how we actually define hard work in 2021 because I think Molly May is defining quote-unquote hard work in like a quantity of hours. Mm -hmm. She's like, well, I work all day, every day. I work from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, which is probably true because her personal life is her work life and her work life is her personal life. So anything she even does is content. And if we're talking about quantity of hours, sure, you work hard. But if in defining hard work in that way, you're not talking or thinking about quality of hard work or quality of hours, people that put their bodies on the line or their emotional energy on the line when they're working, people who have jobs that demand more of them in the space that they're actually working. And so it's like a very reductive way to consider work and working hard, I guess. Yeah, I think naturally as well, it's difficult for people to continually see and hear Molly May talking about this hard work. When Say say you work in palliative care, right? Like your job is in palliative care. That is how you work and that is arduous and laborious. And then you're seeing Molly May talk about her hard work 
When that includes things like getting on first class flights and vlogging it or going to five star restaurants and vlogging it, it is impossible to compare those two things and say, well, Molly May is still working hard because it's like, well, look at what other people do for work. Look at the stuff they put on the line and look at the money they earn for that. I think money also comes in that if you're making millions of dollars a year, is that hard work cushioned by that? Absolutely. Yeah, it's like this like very long windy conversation that we've been trying to have for years about the influencing space because for so long we said they didn't work hard and then we said actually you know what this is legitimate they do work hard and our influencers have sort of taken that and run Mm. and everyone's like oh like you do really you work hard like if you're dedicating a lot of your time to work you work hard but you cannot possibly stand on a pedestal and pretend or make the inference perhaps that you work harder than everybody else and that's why you are where you are. Yeah and to kind of say the 24 hours in the day quote is to say that there is this parallel between Molly May and other people when there's not. To level this playing field and go, we all have the same time in the day, is to ignore the many layers of privilege that got Molly May into the career that she is in. Layers, yes, of course, like growing up in a stable household, not growing up in the foster care system, for example, having two parents who love her and protect her, putting her through education, giving her food on her dinner plate every night. That is a level of privilege. But a huge level of privilege in the influencing industry is pretty privilege. Molly May wouldn't be an influencer if she was not born with an aspirational lifestyle and appearance. And for her to say, I'm here because I work hard, is ignoring the many facets of Molly May's life that put her in a front-facing influencer aspirational career. And I also do wonder how other people who have been on Love Island would consider this, especially people of colour who have come out of Love Island and been public about how it's not an even playing field for them coming out and finding brand deals. Like, I wonder how these quotes are sitting in that context too. I think the other thing that sat a little funny with me as well was her apology that she typed out on Instagram stories. So after a couple of days of this, she went on Instagram and she wrote this. I wanted to come back online today as normal, but I feel like before I do, I just wanted to say this. When I say or post anything online, it is never with malice or ill intent. I completely appreciate that things can affect different people in different ways. However, I just want to stress that I would never intend to hurt or upset anyone by anything I say or do. I apologize to the people who have been affected negatively or misunderstood the meaning of what I said in the podcast. The intentions of the podcast were only ever to tell my story and inspire from my own experience. Love to you all, always. Now, I think for me, making the apology about intent feels like a total non sequitur because I don't think anyone in any of these conversations was saying, Molly May intended to do something terrible. Mm. Molly May intended to make us feel like this. Like no one was saying that. People were just talking about how the quotes landed. And I do think it's a tiny bit gaslighty to say to people, you misunderstood what I was trying to say. Again, it kind of feels like it hasn't really encouraged any kind of excavation. And I think when things like this happen to people in the public eye, I think they're desperate to be like, I didn't intend to say that. I didn't intend for you to interpret it like that. I'm still a good person. And it's like no one's having a conversation here about whether you're deeply good or deeply bad. We're just talking about this one example of something that didn't land well. Can we focus on that? But Mm. it seems so often 
that people in the public eye just ignore the issue at hand and and point to all these other things because they're so deeply worried that people think they're not good, I think. Yeah, and I do agree with that, but I I think I'm in two minds when we talk about this topic because I absolutely acknowledge that this quote was a stupid quote. Like, I don't think it is intelligent. I don't think it stands up to any kind of pressure test. I don't think Molly May should say it. And I think she should have done more investigation when she said on the podcast, I've received backlash for this before. She should have done more investigation to realise why that is an ignorant thing to say. Do I think the backlash and the commentary that came her way was necessary or proportionate to the crime of saying the quote? Absolutely not. No, and I but I think there's something about this where it's like we lose the idea that so many people say this online. Like this is not Molly May's quote. This is her regurgitating a quote that so many of us said online. And I think this is a really interesting facet of podcasting as an industry. And Molly May had said on the podcast, I don't do podcasts. I'm really nervous to say things. People will take things I've said and willfully misinterpret them. And then I will be kind of, I don't know, crushed for it publicly. And I think this is something increasingly that I want to talk about in the podcasting space. The stakes are so high for people that go on podcasts. The feedback about what people say on podcasts and the scrutiny that comes with quotes that are given on podcasts is more intense than any other medium for a couple of reasons. The first is that once Molly May says this, once it's out there, people can rewind and review and replay and rehash things over and over and over again and stew on it. When we were back in radio days, say a Molly May or a celebrity goes on radio, something is said and it's gone and it's done and all of a sudden we're on the next topic. We don't have the time to ruminate and stew on these things that were said in the heat of the moment. So what Molly May gives five seconds of thought to, we have people on the internet giving five months of (laughs) thought to and analysis to. Secondly, the long-form format of podcast interviews in that they last for an hour, sometimes three hours if you're going on Joe Rogan, (laughs) instead of, what, five or ten minutes on radio or to a newspaper – means that we expect a level of analysis and insightfulness from every person who goes on a podcast. That means that what you say carries a level of weight and gravity that other mediums simply don't carry. If a, if a celebrity goes to a magazine and gives an interview and we don't like the quote, they can point to it and go, well, that's the writer's spin, that's their tone, that was their line of questioning, they've misquoted me. When you say something in an interview, it is your words, your tone, your voice – And we can be brutal with what people say on podcasts. We can absolutely pick apart every little second of that dialogue. And so do I think Molly May made a good choice in saying this? No, I thought the interview, so much of it was bullshit, to be honest, in my opinion. So much of it I sat there and went, (laughs) I don't agree with that. I'm still a Molly May fan in some ways. I don't agree with every decision she makes. I don't agree with everything she says. That interview was not the most insightful thing I've ever listened to, but it's the medium. I actually don't think she will ever do another podcast again because the stakes with podcast interviews are unlike any other medium. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think what it does is it encourages like this gleeful takedown that is like baked in mockery. And I think the issue that I have sometimes with feedback loops that happen when things like this occur is how much people turn to mockery as a tool to criticise. And I I just find it incredibly unhelpful and incredibly tiring, like incredibly tiring. And I I agree with you about the the podcasting space and celebrities who go on them because it's like it, it demands a level of intimacy, which means that they can either go really well for some people or really terribly for others. And it's intimidating. It's like mm. completely intimidating. I don't think she'll do 
another podcasting interview either. And I also agree with you when you say I'm still like a fan of some of the things she does because I agree with that, which is why so much I hoped her apology would be better because it's like you're spending so much time worried that people won't be fans of you anymore. And it's like it's not really about that. Just nail the issue on the head, please, and actually do some thought about this because you will win. If if fans are your end game, you will likely win far more fans doing that. Yeah, and I think it's all like leave your ego at the door. I think yeah. that apology would have been much more effective if she had gotten online and said, guys, you know what, I threw this out. I had not given it enough thought. I should have given it more thought the first time I received backlash for this. I've done that now in the days since this went viral on Twitter. Our 24 hours in the day are not the same. I'm not the same as a mum on welfare. I'm sorry to anyone that I offended. I found the last few days really difficult and maybe we can open up a conversation about how commentary can be given online. I think both of those conversations can exist at once. I think when she doesn't leave her ego at the door, when any influencer doesn't leave their ego at the door and is so desperate to correct things without actually acknowledging any of their words, any of the sentiment that they shared, it's not going to land very well and this didn't land very well and I think this will dent her reputation. Yeah, I agree with that. It's been a long episode catching back up. Oh my God, I just checked the time. (laughs) (laughs) We've had so much to catch up on but it is very, very good to be back. A quick one before we go anywhere, we do have our charity merch launching next week so keep an eye on our socials about that got some t-shirts coming out for summer as always shameless doesn't take any of that cut we are donating 100 of our cut to the asylum seeker resource center so please keep your eye on social for that announcement can't wait to show you what we've got yeah absolutely and annabelle lee anything to add i said in our last episode that i would think about what to say this year i didn't i'm gonna <laughs> say um enjoy your afternoon oh, alex tiffin <laughs> oh, what if people are listening in the evening all morning i thought he said i'm off to bed he said enjoy your evening Both enjoy of you. your evening <laughs> Both of you have a nail on it. thanks so much guys bye